0: Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Well, good morning again. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. It is Friday the thirteenth. You know, I, hey Paul, I know you're on with me. So can yeah. I ask you a question about Friday sure. the thirteenth? Like, yeah. right? I I just feel like Friday the thirteenth is so consumed by you know, like the the horrible conversations about the movie. And I'll yeah. just admit, I'm not a I'm not a horror movie person. So that's just not you know, it's not a genre of film I would spend any time uh, with at all. Um, Is that still a thing? Like, is Friday the 13th culturally still, like, a thing? Well, things have changed. I mean, there's more It and a few other movies. I mean, Adam Holtz can tell you about that. But, you know, I'm sure they'll—they always bring it back. That's the thing. They always bring it back. So when I see, like, Friday the 13th trending on Twitter, it's just something—it's just because it's— a saying it's not really because of that. It's no, movie, no, no, no. Right? It's a long okay. time this been considered a bad day. You know, bad things can happen. You know, actually, for me, Friday the thirteenth have been good. Monday the thirteenth. That's another topic. We won't go there. <laughs> okay, so it is fun Friday. It's fabulous Friday. It's fantastic Friday. It is uh, the thirteenth day of Advent. We are waiting with grateful, hope filled anticipation of the coming of Christ, and that's what Advent is all about. I wonder what you're waiting for this Advent. Uh, I am am waiting for my dad to get an appointment for um, an epidural pain block thing uh, because he's just right now living in such horrible, debilitating, severe pain that he just really can't even leave the house. And so they're not coming for Christmas. And my heart is really sad about that. Um, And that also means, you know, like my mom isn't coming. Like, right? Like, so... So there are some things that um, we're waiting for in our lives that are personal and and they're important. So what are you waiting for? What's the waiting in your life right now? Maybe you're waiting for a prodigal child to turn toward home. I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, just think about the expectation, the hope-filled expectation that the father has in that story of the prodigal son. Um, How every single day he's going out and he is standing and he is looking toward the horizon and he is he's hoping his heart is going out toward his child, hoping with this great expectation that um, even even against all odds, against all maybe rational thought, that boy might come over the horizon. He might have turned toward home. And um, so, you know, the father, uh, God, the father, that's that's his heart. For each and every lost person, just scanning the horizon for them to turn toward Him. And that's it. That's all it takes. All you have to do is turn toward home. All you have to do is turn toward the Father. He is right now holding out great hope with joyful expectation um, and anticipation of your return, of your repentance, of your turning toward home. If you are God's prodigal child right now, would you consider turning toward home? It's the invitation of Jesus in the 13th chapter of the gospel according to Luke. It's my invitation to you today. I would like to uh, walk with you along the journey of faith. Um, I'm walking all the way home to the Father's house, hand in hand with my sweet husband, who is also my brother in Christ. Uh, We would like to be walking uh, with you as well. And that's what we're really doing here at Faith Radio. We're walking with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ on the journey between here and home. That's where we're all headed. All right. So up next, I'm going to be talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. We're going to be talking about that, which is on the big screen this weekend. Um, and we're also going to be talking about a particular scene in a movie called The Irishman, and it's on Netflix. And I got to tell you, I have seen the outtake of this particular scene, and I was I was really touched by it. So I want to t- talk with Adam about what he's seeing there and the illusions um, in this one scene of of the movie. So we're going to talk about uh, pop culture next with Adam Holtz from Plugged In. I love talking with Adam Holtz because, frankly, he's so much more plugged in than I am. Adam Holtz from Plugged In. You guys can check it out at pluggedin.com. It is a ministry of focus on the family. Adam, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Is it snowy where you are? Nah, it's just
1: kind of dreary. It's just oh. been sort of medium cold, kind of overcast. Actually, very Midwestern weather for Colorado. So, hmm. there you go.
0: All right. Well, may you uh, may may it snow in in like great abundance, because I feel like you live in the place where snow should be abundant.
1: Uh, You know, that seems reasonable to me.
0: (laughs) Okay. so I have so much I want to cover with you. Let's uh, let's do the movie. Let's (laughs) let's lead off with the movie reviews um, and maybe the one that uh, is sort of the maybe the most popular out there right now. I don't know. Jumanji, the next level. I will tell you that the previews do not make me want to see it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's they could have called it Jumanji just like the last one, and that would have been pretty accurate. So if you saw the first one, which came out two years ago, which of course was the reboot of the 1995 Robin Williams version – Robin's clearly no longer with us. But you know they sort of doubled down, and instead of just one huge star, we have Dwayne Johnson, we have Kevin Hart, we have Jack Black. Um, you know, we have Karen Gillan, who isn't a household name, but she's one of the other four main characters. Uh, the movie concept, in a nutshell, is about four now college-age students who get transported to a magical world called Jumanji through a video game. Uh, and Danny DeVito and Danny Glover come along for the ride this time too, just to to add another layer. And they go into the avatars of those names that I just talked about. So there's sort of a body switcheroo thing. Sometimes men end up in women, sometimes women end up in men and they have a kind of a broadly Raiders of the Lost Arkish kind of adventure. This time around, they have to rescue a crystal that's been stolen by a Viking like bad guy who uh, is bad. And uh, there are ostriches that act like velociraptors. So it's just a madcap action adventure movie from start to finish. Um, all that's fine and well and good. What was surprising to me content wise is that in this PG-13 movie, man, a bunch of pairings of God's name with another word. And Mm. I just every time and and misuses of Jesus name in a movie that really is aimed at families, I think with young children, you know, it's a PG-13 movie, but frankly, it feels like it's aimed at about 11 year olds. Um, I just winced every time. And Um, I I felt like it was utterly and completely gratuitous in the truest sense of the word. Mm. It was so totally unnecessary. And so a fairly fun, relatively innocuous film. Otherwise, obviously, there's tons of slapsticky kind of violence. Um, There's this glaring content area. And I just thought, why?
0: Why? It wrecked
1: the movie for me.
0: Mm. All right. Let's. Um. This next one is Richard Jewell. Uh, now yeah. I will say that uh, the the previews for this one make me want to see it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, this is um, the story of a man who, if you are, are in the Atlanta area, you probably know exactly who Richard Jewell was. He was a security worker working the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. He had longed to be a police officer, that hadn't worked out. A really good, earnest guy, just trying to to make it all work and have it hang together and he spots a backpack that looks mysterious and tries to convince the police that they should look at it. They kind of blow him off uh and shortly thereafter, as they're beginning to you know sort of move people away from it, it explodes, killed two people, injured scores more, but frankly, his actions that day probably kept it from being much worse than it would have been otherwise. He's briefly hailed as a hero, but then the FBI gets involved and says, wait a minute, we think maybe this guy actually planted it to bring attention to himself. And so at that point, his character is completely destroyed, uh, especially by a reporter who gets involved, who is very zealous for that story and happens to be sort of uh, in cahoots, if if you will, with an FBI agent that she has a pseudo-romantic relationship with. Um, and then, you know, by the end, he is sort of exonerated again. But it's a, it's sort of a character study in this man, and and I think it's a parable for our time of of fake news. That wasn't a phrase that was around back then. But Clint Eastwood directs this, and and he, I think, gives us some important things to think about with regard to our culture right now. Uh, it is rated R mostly for profanity, uh, some sensual and sexual allusions that we don't really see a whole lot. Uh, and then the violence of the explosion itself.
0: I was uh, at the baseball venue on that day at the. Oh uh, wow, Olympics you were there in I mean, I wasn't there wow. in uh, in Centennial Park, but I was there uh, in Atlanta. But you were at the, at the Olympics
1: game. in Atlanta. Yeah, and oh, it was wow. F-
0: it was uh, very, um, you know, it's, this is so pre nine eleven that it's hard to describe to people what it felt like. So, um, okay, yeah. let's uh, let's talk about Little Women, um, and then after the break, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna move to the communion scene in The Irishman. But let's talk about Little Women. This also is a movie so, that intrigues me.
1: Yeah, and this is a movie that isn't out yet. It's coming out, I believe, Christmas Day. So we're a little bit ahead. And <coughs> excuse me. Normally, I couldn't talk about something this far ahead, but. This is the Little Women you know and love. Saoirse Ronan uh, is in it. Greta Gerwig is the director. Timothy Chalamet, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, kind of an up-and-coming young actor, uh, plays a prominent role. And it's just a delightful story. And it's a story that you could say they've given it a feminist empowerment kind of spin, but Little Women is a feminist empowerment story even in its purest form. So um, – I really loved what they did with it it doesn't have they haven't gone and added some LGBTQ subplot you know and I mean I say that only half jokingly because that's the kind of thing that happens nowadays with classic stories so they've let it be what it is um, and I, I really I really enjoyed it. It's a delightful movie so if that's a story that you like, keep an eye out for that when it comes out on Christmas Day.
0: Yeah. And we talk about classical literature and we talk about the things that, um, you know, that kids, even in classical education are reading today, little women is on the list. And so one of the reasons Absolutely. I wanted to highlight it is because I do think that when we talk about um, things that we can go see uh, that are true to the story that they are meant to tell, this is actually seems to be one of them. So, all right. Yep. I've got to take a quick break talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We'll be right back. Oh. Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. N. Um, so, Adam, I will admit to you that I saw this scene from the Irishman on the Twitter feed of uh, a friend who teaches at Fuller. And um, because I trust him and I trust his judgment and his tweet was so provocative, I then watched.
1: And who was uh, that by this, chance?
0: Um, so, oh uh, see, now, now it's like a quiz, right? Hold on. Hold on. It's uh, Mikado it it? uh Fuji Fuji I mean, you knew I was gonna oh, pronounce yeah. his name. No, that's yeah. right. So he, artist, he's right? a he's a great follow on Twitter. He is okay. um yeah, I am Fuji F-U J I M U R A. That's his Twitter follow. And he's a okay. great follow on Twitter. Um and so anyway, um, so I saw this on his Twitter feed and so I watched it, which is unusual. I mean, I'm just am really not as plugged in as you are, I am kind of <laughs> unplugged. And so um, I well, i was
2: absolutely,
0: I was stunned. I was stunned by this particular scene. So tell people what happens in the scene of the Irishman that I'm referring to. And then, um, I mean, you know, I don't know, tell me if you're as stunned as I am, what, what, what is it about? Because it certainly does not look to be about anything other than real communion.
1: Yeah. Um, the Irishman might best be described as the Godfather meets Forrest Gump. Uh, it's a, I think, semi true depiction of a character, a hitman played by Robert De Niro, and he ends up being close friends with Jimmy Hoffa um, throughout, you know, Jimmy Hoffa's life. I'm, forgive me, I don't have the date that Jimmy Hoffa disappeared firmly in my head. Was that in the late '60s? Mm-hmm Ish. Mm-hmm. Um, that was slightly before my time, so I don't have those dates memorized. But this, um, De Niro's a very affable character, you know, apart from killing people fairly regularly. You know, he's sort of like the friendly assassin. Um, and the film sort of begs the question of whether he's the one who ends up killing Jimmy Hoffa after he disappears. De Niro's character ends up in prison. Uh, I believe, and um, I, I haven't seen it. So if I'm getting details wrong here, forgive me. Well, no, me.
0: and it's like a whole, right? I mean, I, I The Irishman is just is a little bit of a phenomenon on Netflix right now. Yeah, it is, um, and it's four and,
1: hours long, so yeah, it's a yeah. monster <laughs> of a movie. So, so he ends up doing – he's with another older man who doesn't have any teeth, and he breaks bread and dips it in grape juice, and there's this idea – that he understands that he needs forgiveness. It's never maybe, you know, in in typical Martin Scorsese style, and Scorsese, of course, is a Catholic, so there's tons of Catholic imagery throughout Scorsese's work, uh, along with other imagery, I I might add. (laughs) Um, But just this idea of perhaps a longing for, for forgiveness, even though it's never explicitly spelled out. But, you know, when you break bread and dip it in grape juice, it's pretty clear what's going on.
0: So it's clear to you and it's clear to me because we have at least a level of biblical literacy that enables yeah. us to understand what is happening in the art. So that's really the conversation right. that I wanted to have. So I want to yeah. have the conversation about the necessity to at least at least have um enough biblical literacy that we even understand what's happening in art and um and culture oh, today. Oh yeah.
1: Well and and you can't understand it without it. I remember I was an English major and a religion major at the University of Iowa and go Hawks. I just want to get that in here right now for your Minnesota fans. Um, no, we
0: have, you know, we've got, I, you know, we have a broadcast I know, in Iowa. I know. So, You're talking right uh, now to people in Waterloo, okay, Cedar Rapids. well, there you go. I know. And,
1: anyway, go ahead. Iowa City, maybe even. Uh, so one of my professors, she was actually a Shakespeare professor, said before we can even begin to talk about Shakespeare, we have to start with biblical literacy so we read genesis we read job and you know she sort of had select passages that we read and her point even as far back you know in the dark ages when i was in college in 1988 when i started you know she said we can't even start to have a conversation about shakespeare without getting you up to speed on the biblical text first and so it's so foundational for understanding our civilization and our culture. And we now live in a time that wants to sort of excise the Bible from everything. And even looking at it from an academic or, or sociological point of view is something most people don't want to do. Uh, but obviously it informs so much and it certainly informs this movie we're talking about.
0: So I can't even uh, remember off the top of my head, the conversation that I was, Oh, I was having a, a it was, with some college students yesterday and um We were sort of jokingly uh, discussing the – they were watching this, like, man-on-the-street YouTube uh, Uh video, and it was just a person, like, asking questions of random people on the street that any Christian would know the answers to because they're such basic Bible questions. But if you don't set it up as a Bible question, a person, you know, out there in the culture certainly doesn't, first of all, necessarily know that it's a Bible question. And – all right, so I I was amazed the the percentage of people – who, when challenged to answer the question, um, what was the name of Noah's wife? First of all, I would not know that. Like, no, I, I, don't I don't
1: know Noah. I'm, I'm okay, like, but, stump the chump, you stump me. So,
0: right, okay, but so people are then, like, they're pressed, and then they, they seem to have these, like, aha, because they're like Noah, and then the interviewer will be like, well, yeah, you know, like Noah of Noah's Ark. Well, that then provoked people to answer the question um, in a way that resonated with their mind, which was they all said, oh, her name was Joan.
1: Oh, yeah. Joan, Joan of Arc. Of Arc. Right?
0: right. And so, you know, I do think that as Christians, we we can trick people by the way we ask questions into giving us sure. an answer that then provides us an opportunity to laugh at them. And, well, that, and research does that, was that all the time, too. Me. That was painful yeah, for me. No, that. Yeah.
1: That is painful. That is like that's
0: painful. not kind. That's not kind to right. to you know to lead my neighbor to say something stupid um, because of the way I asked them a question. And so I just I, right. I wanted to surface this today because I do think there's a way to watch movies and watch you know shows that are going to be on this season and to watch them in the company of non-believers and to do so in a way that's honoring to God and and yeah. opens the window um, uh, of biblical understanding. And there are ways to. Um, To watch those programs together and then have conversations that are belittling and would drive people away from wanting to explore um, what the the Bible might say about such a thing. So I just thought it'd be fun to talk with you about that. So thanks.
1: Yeah, no, I think that we have to be careful not to be smug. We live in a really smug culture, and I think even as I watch sometimes the warring cable commentators on the left and the right, I think what's most off-putting to me from both sides— is this smug, you know, we have the answers and the rest of you are idiots. And as Christians, we do have the answer, but if we approach it as, you know, other people with the assum- you know with the presupposition that I'm going to make you feel like an idiot, well, a, it's not very winsome and b, Jesus certainly didn't relate to people that way.
0: All right, you and I are going to have to leave it right there today. Um, I love okay. talking with you. Thank you so much. Uh, I think I think Breakpoint is coming up next. If I've got my uh, if, if my ducks in a row today. So Adam Holtz, thank you so much. You guys need to check out what Adam is writing at PluggedIn.com, dot um, especially the musical musings uh, from twenty nineteen musical musings. That's a that's a fun post. All right, it we is. will uh, we will talk with you again soon, Adam. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Carmen. We'll talk to you soon.
0: All right, we'll be back. Okay, so we have had Kevin Singer on the program before to talk about neighborly faith, and it is an effort um, to help those of us who are Christians know how to learn how to cultivate the ability to become friends with people who are not Christians, Um, recognizing that the, the ability to share the faith is constructed upon a relationship. And so I can't really share with somebody who I don't honestly know and with whom I have not spent time. And so Neighborly Faith is really an effort to do that. Well, Neighborly Faith has, uh, has partnered with another organization called Interfaith Youth Corps in a study um, where they are, uh, they're talking with college students and they are examining what's happening on college campuses across the country. Um, and so we've actually got Kevin Singer from Neighborly Faith and Matthew Mayhew from the University of Ohio, Oh, excuse me, Ohio State University, uh, joining us next to talk about what they have learned in the ideals study um, and why having friendships with people whose worldview is different than ours is really important. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
3: All right. This is a toss for the sandals. How about the cloak?
2: Come on. Hurry up. It's my turn. This is Max Locato, casting lots for the possessions of Christ. Heads ducked, eyes downward, cross forgotten. The symbolism is striking. Do you see it? I'm thinking of us, those who claim heritage at the cross, the stuffy, the loose, the evangelical, the spirit-filled, ameners, robes, collars. I'm thinking of us. Those selfish soldiers, we smirk Yet, Are we so different? Our divisions are so numerous we can't be cataloged. Is it that impossible for us to find a common cause? May they all be one, Jesus prayed. One church, one faith, one Lord. Just Christians, no hierarchies, no traditions, just Christ. Can we be the soldier who jumps to his feet and reminds the rest of us, Hey, that's God on that cross. Just a thought. This is Max Locato.
0: me now, Dr. Matthew Mayhew, the William Ray and Mary Adamson Flesher Professor of Educational Administration with a focus on higher education and student affairs at The Ohio State University, and Kevin Singer, the co-director of Neighborly Faith. He's also a church planter, a Ph.D. candidate, and a graduate assistant on the Ideals Project, where his uh, work intersects with Dr. Mayhew's work. Uh, and so, gentlemen, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
4: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us, Carmen. Great to be with you again.
0: I feel like the introduction sounded like this was going to be like super smarty pants and hard to understand, but it's not.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You don't know us well enough. Um, The the titles and all the language is very, very complicated, but uh, we like to talk to real folks. So, yes.
0: I know. And so we're going to have a real conversation about uh, something that's really going on on real college campuses in the lives of real students. And so because, again, we have this big, fancy um, uh, study that we're going to talk about. The, uh, The acronym is IDEALS. But the big fancy title is the Interfaith Diversity Experiences and Attitudes Longitudinal Study. That is the only time I'm going to say it, but that's what it is. It's the IDEALS study. And so, Dr. Mayhew, I'm going to let you lead off. What were you seeking to research and what did you discover in this national study of college students and interfaith engagement?
3: Uh, Thank you. Yes, we wanted to understand the institutional conditions um, and ed- educational practices that influence um, interfaith learning and development. And those are a lot of loaded terms. So, in short, um, how colleges influence students' thinking about different faith traditions. So, how do students grow in their appreciation for evangelical um, students, for example? How do students grow in terms of how they think about uh, Catholicism? those kinds of questions. And so what we did was we tracked students who entered in fall of 2015 and we tracked them over time um, from the beginning of their first year uh, and then after their first year um, and then when they were graduating. And so that's kind of the lay of the land with regard to the research design. And so we were able to actually see what is college actually doing to influence these kinds of um, outcomes or this way of thinking.
0: Okay, so one of the terms that pops up in here um, is inter-worldview friendship. It starts with an I, inter-worldview friendship. Kevin, um, I I think that most of our friendships are inter-worldview. That does not surprise me. Um, But why, you know, why are we concerned that kids who go to Protestant evangelical schools or evangelical Protestant schools tend to only have inter-worldview relationships?
4: Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to um, what are the missions of these uh, evangelical colleges. A lot of times, and studies have been done on this, evangelical colleges like to talk about uh, creating global citizens uh, or people who are truly prepared to um, speak and to reason and to make friendships across different worldviews, to work professionally and to uh, to work personally across different worldviews. Um, but yet the question remains, if students really aren't having the opportunity on evangelical campuses to make close friendships with people of other worldviews, I think the question remains, are they really prepared to be global citizens in the way that we really hope?
0: So um, let's talk about what what you guys found out uh, in terms of what the study yields about the experience that students who uh, attend expressly Christian um, higher, you know, higher ed institutions, uh, the experience that they have and how that differs from a, you know, a Christian who goes to, let's say, the Ohio State University.
3: Hmm. Sure, yes. Um, I think that um, overall what we're able to see are some trends here. And students who attend evangelical schools, they tend to leave college with a more uh, robust appreciation for different faith and non-faith-based traditions. So they have more of a religious literacy um, that's achieved by going to college. They know more about religions. Um, They also have a tendency to want to be global citizens to a greater degree um, than students who are at, say, public institutions or the institutions in the sample um, writ large. They also have an appreciation uh, for different uh, ways that religions come together sometimes. They can see some of the common uh, ways that religion kind of expresses itself. Um, But what they don't do, unfortunately, is they don't provide opportunities for students to get to know students from other faith and non-faith based traditions and so that does compromise a lot of the other ways of learning that we're hoping to inspire it compromises how much um, they develop an appreciation say for Islam they uh, compromises the way they develop an appreciation um, towards uh, Mormons and towards atheists um, and those kinds of things and so What we're able to see is, yes, uh, evangelical colleges do a very good job at helping students learn about different faith-based traditions, but they don't do such a good job at giving students the opportunity to relate to each other, uh, to grow friendships uh, from people different than themselves. And that is a key point um, when we're thinking about some of the outcomes that we think and hope are going to shape the future.
0: Okay, we're going to pause and take a very brief break, but when we come back, I'm going to specifically ask um, Kevin uh, how neighborly faith addresses that, because I know this is actually a you know a, a critical point of intersection here, like how you're actually helping uh, mm-hmm. people on evangelical college campuses do this. Um, and then, uh, Dr. Mayhew, let me just go ahead and warn you in advance. I'm going to ask you, what's unique about the college years um, in terms of the importance of learning how to do this, learning how to Uh, build a relationship with a person whose worldview is different than my own. So those two questions coming up next, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, I am talking with uh, Dr. Matthew Mayhew. I am also talking with uh, Kevin Singer. And we're talking about college students and their worldview and uh, really how to help evangelical college students um, cultivate the ability to build friendships with people whose worldview is different than their own. More next on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Matthew Mayhew from The Ohio State University, as well as Kevin Singer. I think of Kevin as being from Neighborly Faith. Maybe you want to describe yourself differently than that, Kevin.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's totally fine. Um, I am co-director, co-founder of Neighborly Faith, which we started uh, my colleague and I started at Wheaton College back in 2015.
0: I know. And I love it. So I just like talking about it. So you guys can follow Neighborly Faith on Twitter at Neighborly Faith. Um, Okay, so uh, let's let's do a question with you, Kevin. Um, And I teed it up uh, there before uh, before the Mm -hmm. break. Um, How how do we do this? How do we help students uh, who are on evangelical college campuses or however you want to frame that and describe that? How do we help them do what is difficult to do because there aren't a lot of people with variant worldviews on their campus.
4: Right, right. And a lot of times these colleges have uh, certain faith statements that um, members of the campus community have to sign before they enter the campus that typically asks them to affirm certain Christian theology and Christian doctrine. And so it it, it makes sense that these communities are fairly homogenous in terms of belief um, <clears throat> what Neighborly Faith is concerned about is what happens when students uh, leave campus? Um, you know, are, are they able to speak intelligibly? <laughs> which, is <all> and... <laughs> which is, like,
0: frequently, right? I mean, you know, like, we're even talking about, like, yeah. walking across the street to the subway, like, right? I mean, there's people out there who don't share my oh, gosh. worldview. So how am I going to interact oh, with gosh. them? yeah.
4: Yeah, I, I really think the question is, what kind of posture are students going to take? Are they really prepared to have those conversations in ways that are winsome and ways that, um, again, speak intelligibly to the gospel in a pluralistic world? I think you know evangelicals you know we take very seriously and we cherish our tradition of of being persuasive about our faith uh, 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 you know uh, in 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 the world and and the question becomes are students really prepared to do that and that's what we're concerned about um so what we do with Neighborly faith is um we work with students who basically come to us and they say equip me empower me give me the resources to launch a program or launch an event or a dinner or a dialogue on my campus that just gets students from this campus and students of other faith groups typically muslims just talking together and getting to know one another and it's what's crazy is 95 percent of the time these conversations almost always get into honest and authentic faith dialogue in ways that don't cause really either group to compromise what they believe um but we've noticed that students really want to be the ones who lead these efforts on their campuses. And I think for administrators and, and educators, thinking about how do we put students in position to lead these efforts, to, say, walk across the street to that public college and say, hey, students who are part of the Muslim Student Association, please come over to our campus for dinner. We'd love to host you, be generous to you, just have you know productive faith conversations with you and just be known by you and you be known by us, which I think is really what ideals is really trying to, to say is – when we really get to know others and when we allow others to get to know us, really amazing things happen and opportunities for, of course, evangelicals to talk about Christ and um, really what they believe and what they care about. Um, I think also Neighborly Faith is interested in how do we help evangelical colleges from a curricular standpoint enhance their curriculum to allow for more opportunities, not just to learn about Islam, for example, or learn about Judaism But actually get to know Muslim students and get to know Jewish students. Um, That's, I think, the hard part. I think the easiest part is sort of look at other people from afar and say, oh, I think I've gotten to know generally what you believe. But actually getting to know a living, breathing person and building trust with that person, which, by the way, is a critical tool and critical skill that all students have to develop is – How do I actually build trust with people that I want to get to know, build trust with communities that aren't necessarily Christian? I think a lot of students know how to gain the knowledge, but do they know how to build the trust? That's the thing that I think Neighborly Faith is trying to help help fix is there isn't necessarily that that skill coming out of an evangelical college.
0: All right. And Dr. Mayhew, why um, why are the college years so critically important uh, in terms of this conversation?
3: Well, college is the time um, in somebody's life where they can actually develop friendships different than their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times students come from neighborhoods that are very homogenous. And when they go to college, it's like, wow, um, my world, my the journey could be an open book. And there are so many people of difference around us. And there's so many opportunities for us to actually make friends. This is an opportunity for students to work together, live together, study together and develop authentic relationships. I mean, Jesus didn't go at this alone. You know, he had uh, disciples that he developed trust relationships with over time. And you got to think about that when you think about what it means to spread the gospel. It's not an alone. It's not an isolated journey. It's about really developing trust. And what does that take? It, it means time together. It means learning together, hearing from each other, dining with each other, socializing mm-hmm. with each other. And college is the place mm-hmm. for that to occur for a lot of people who didn't otherwise have that opportunity.
0: So you guys both know this, but uh, I guarantee you I have listeners right now who are thinking, I'm I'm sending my kid to an evangelical Christian college to protect them from all that. Um, And so I would like for uh, you to make the appeal that uh, even as an evangelical, I am going to live in a world that is populated actually predominantly by people who do not share my worldview, but to whom I am sent by God um, to bear positive witness, to bear witness to who he is, to represent the Christ uh, whom I love um, to others. And so there's a there there seems to be a fear among evangelicals that my kid is going to be contaminated. Um, Instead of being a positive witness to others, my kid is going to be influenced um, by others. Help us overcome that fear. Kevin, maybe this question is for you. Help us overcome that fear
4: yeah, so I think there's a misnomer out there that there's one model of getting together with people of other faiths, and that's how that's you know we get together and talk about everything we have in common, which I don't think is helpful. I actually say to to our fellows, through neighborly faith that the greatest commonality is our difference. And that's a bit you know counterintuitive, that I actually think what's most exciting about us getting together with people of other faiths is that we have these irreconcilable differences. And the reason mm-hmm. being is because Christ is different because the church is different because the gospel in the kingdom is different and that is part of our witness is is difference but I hope that our difference is a hospitable dif- hospitable difference I hope our difference is a generous difference I hope our I mean I think all Christians out there evangelical particularly would say I really want people to be attracted to the person of Christ by the way we live but but that doesn't come naturally per se particularly towards groups that we're fearful of I think we need some eh, Extra help to understand how do we develop a, a posture and a, and a type of a relationship with people across faiths that they say, wow, like these people live uh, uh, differently. I mean, just yesterday I was talking to Daniel Darling over at ERLC about his new book about Christmas. And uh, Which he is says, on Fox Christmas. News,
0: I just want to say yeah. they, they featured it on Fox News this morning.
4: So yeah, Dan Daniel Daniel is Darling's like, incredible. he
0: is like catapulted into a category none of us are in.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Go. Like yeah. I talked to him. I, I, I interviewed him about his book and he basically just ministered to me for 20 minutes. But one thing he mm-hmm. said is like Advent ought to be a time where Christians joy is so infectious, like mm-hmm. our joy. But the, but here's the question, though. If we don't have close friends of other faiths, nobody's going to see that joy. Right. So it's part of the it's part of the practical application of all these Parts of scripture that are like you need to be seen, you need to be in relationships of hospitality, and and, and uh, you need to be good to your neighbor. Well, none of that practically occurs if we don't have the tools to develop friendship. It just, it, it, it we aren't going to advance anything about what we believe if we're if we're hiding in silos. I think, um, and again, I don't think we need to say that there's only one way of doing this. That we have to you know, shake hands and sing kumbaya, that's, that's just not, I think, a faithful way of doing it. But I mean, there is another way of doing it, which is, you know, standing by what we believe, but also being really great people who, again, spread the joy of, of our Savior. And, but that's only possible if we get in the same room.
0: Okay, so um, uh, I want to advocate that both of you read, there's a piece posted at The Atlantic today called The Christian Withdrawal Experiment, Super interested to know um, what you guys think about that. Um, it's mm. like the Benedict, a little bit like the Benedict option, but it's a generation old. Um, I love this conversation. I hope we can return to it because a, a couple of things that you surfaced, I think, are really, really critical. One of those is hospitality. Um, you talked a lot about shared meals. I put that at the top of my list, inviting people into, into my home, um, accepting invitations into the homes of others. Um, so uh, will you guys come back?
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So um uh Dr. Mayhew, I went to the University of Florida and so I had um a very secular college experience as an evangelical Christian and I I you know I'm a fan of that model as well. So maybe the next time we talk we can talk about how Christian kids um are doing on really secular college campuses.
3: Absolutely. I would appreciate okay. the conversation as
0: well. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. All right, we are completely out of time. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. You guys can Uh, Check out what we're doing at MyFaithRadio.com. The podcast will be up a little bit later today. Uh, I want everybody to have a great weekend. Don't forget, we are continuing our reading in the Gospel of Luke over the weekend. Read Luke chapter 14 and Luke chapter 15. We'll see you right back here on Monday with more Mornings with Carmen. Have a great weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.